We, are, we have been in a series in the book of Acts. We're, we're going to hit the pause button this, this, today and, and do a, a standalone message that I really feel the Spirit of God wants me to bring to you. All of us battle discouragement. What do you do when you feel like discouragement is winning? Where do you go? When condemnation meets despair, meets depression, meets anxiety, when you're tempted to check out, when you're tempted to write others off or believe lies, we have been given a place to find renewal and strength at any time of the day or night and at a moment's notice. It's a place that we, followers of Jesus, were meant to go frequently. The question is, will we go there? In the face of discouragement, in the face of depression and anxiety, in the face of fear, will we run to this place of renewal and strength? That's the question. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, would you, would you help us? Help us this morning by your spirit to receive all that you would have for us collectively and individually. Lord, it's... it's it's clear that you, you want us to look at this topic. This week has been a hard week, not only uh, in light of what happened on Friday night with Trevor, but before that, so many people expressing to me discouragement. And so we're looking to you, God, to do what only you can do, to bring a peace that passes understanding, to bring a peace that doesn't ignore the circumstance but sees us through it. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Well, first, I want us to go back to the start. Where do we go when we're feeling depressed, anxious, discouraged? Let's go back to the start. Remember who you are in Christ. That's number one. Go back to the start. Remember who you are in Christ. If you've ever read the New Testament, then you've come across the phrases in Christ, in him, or in Christ Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul used these phrases, listen, over 160 times when addressing uh, the people or the churches that he was caring for. Why did he do that? These phrases, in Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus, they're all ways to summarize the same thing. Believers are united with Christ. Believers are united with Christ. But what does that mean? Like a lot of phrases in the Bible, we can read them and for years not get it. I want, I want us to get it, even if just a little bit more. I want us to get it. What does it mean to be in him, in Christ, to be united with Christ Jesus? There's a lot of places we can go. and We're not going to just um, uh, hover over one particular text this morning. We're going to jump around a little bit on purpose, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, a Christian is someone who is in Christ. This signifies relationship. Every believer is united to Christ or in Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. So being a Christian is not just about embracing a set of doctrine, a set of beliefs, and checking it off. Yep, believe that, 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 that. No, it's, it's, it is that. It involves that. But it's not only that. It's ultimately about a living, breathing union with Jesus Christ. And this isn't a theoretical one. It's a, it's a very real union. And, and when I say union, I'm speaking of a new relationship. It's a way to describe our salvation. This is an intimate, life-shaping union that changes, first and foremost, the way we relate to God and the way he relates to us. And so the idea of union is at the heart of Scripture. We see it all over the New Testament, but it's also there in the Old. God's covenant with his people is oftentimes compared with a marriage bond in the Old Testament. For example, the prophet Isaiah speaks of Israel's maker as a husband who proves his faithfulness in the midst of her unfaithfulness. That's how God is described. Like a husband who proves his faithfulness in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness. I'm thankful for that. Later in the New Testament, marriage becomes this beautiful picture, a powerful representation of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And so marriage is this billboard, this sign that reflects something even more profound, that relationship between his bride, Christ and his bride. So union, representation, or full-on identification is found throughout the storyline of the Bible where one person takes the place of the many and the many are then seen to be united together in the accomplishments of the one. Have you seen this before? Maybe with Moses, maybe with Joshua, maybe with King David, maybe with the high priest. It's in the storyline. And Jesus taught on this union and he prayed for it to happen. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 15. In John 15, just as a branch is grafted into the vine and receives its nourishment from the vine, so a follower is in Christ. We are grafted into the vine so that the life of the vine might be clearly seen in our lives. So look with me in John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already, 
you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. But listen, verse 4, abide or remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus prayed for this union to happen. Look in John 17, what is referred to often as the high priestly prayer of Jesus himself for his followers, those that were there with him on the ground in person and and those to come. That's us. He prayed this way for us. We're going to drop into his prayer in chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, for those who are present with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus taught about this union and he prayed for it to happen. Okay, stay with me. Now go to Romans chapter five. We're jumping around a lot this morning and it's okay. Romans chapter five, Paul explains how sin entered the world through one man, representative of all humanity, And how all humanity, all people are united to this one man, to Adam as their representative. And he's explaining the big picture storyline of redemption in abbreviated fashion in Romans chapter 5, in particular verses 12 through 17. That all people are either in Adam or in Christ. God appointed, he created Adam as our representative, as our head. We are guilty in Adam because we actually sin. We've all sinned. Jesus came as the second Adam, an Adam in reverse, undoing what Adam did, regaining what Adam lost, restoring to us what Adam broke. So God takes what is broken and makes it even better than what it was before. Now look, Romans 5, verse 19 For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so Romans 5, 19, it sets up a contrast that drives home Paul's main point as he writes to the church in Rome. Death came through Adam, but life comes through Jesus. And so those who look to Jesus have a new representative You've been united with Christ. He's your new head. So where am I going with all this? I just walked us through Ephesians and John and Romans. Where where am I going with this? Are you tired? Are you discouraged? Do you feel alone? Have you given in to areas you know are wrong just to escape reality? Are you trying to escape your pain by turning to alcohol or 
pornography or just anything that will numb you, even if for a moment. Are you angry or are you hurt by something a friend did or said? Have you lost your wonder, the wonder that you first experienced when you became a follower of Jesus? Are you experiencing an anxiety that you can't shake and you don't know where it's coming from or why it's there? Are you sad about your past? Are you scared about your future? Everything I've just listed was communicated to me this week alone. I know it comes with the territory of being a pastor, but I think it comes with the territory of being human. This kind of discouragement, when it comes at us, it has a crippling effect. And the lies come fast, don't they? You're not loved. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. You failed so many times. Your faith is pitiful. Church, last weekend I experienced a fierce condemnation. I'm not exempt from discouragement, depression, or condemnation. Last Saturday, I experienced a fierce condemnation that I could not shake. I had to go back to the start. In the face of how I felt, in the face of condemnation and discouragement, I had to go back to the start and remind myself of who I am in Christ Jesus. That's where I'm going with this. We have to go back to the start. And sometimes we need help going there, getting there. But that's what we're doing here. What do we sing about? Why do we celebrate communion? We're going back to the start. We go back to the start, remind ourselves, how did we get here? Just break it down again. It's about Jesus. It's about relationship. It's about you being united, being found in Christ Jesus. We need to go back to the start. We need others to get us there. We need songs that will help us get there. I've got a couple songs I fall on. I got a couple songs that I go to that I just sing when I'm driving. No one's around. No one has to be listening. I don't want anyone to listen. They're, they're songs that I'm singing to the Lord that remind me of, of what's happened in Christ Jesus. Essentially what I'm talking about is preaching the gospel to ourselves, the good news of what has been accomplished by God's grace and love through his son Jesus on our behalf. It's reminding ourselves in the face of discouragement and depression and anxiety of what is true regardless of how we feel. That's hard. It was hard for me two weeks ago. It was fierce. When I say fierce, I mean like heavy. I told someone on Saturday, because I, I, I asked for help, I, I know condemnation, I said. I felt it many, many, many times. This is heavy. It was clearly an attack. We've got to go back to the start. Number two, go back to the start and celebrate the benefits of being in Christ. Remember that you're in Christ. This is about relationship. You've been reconciled to the living God through Jesus. He's your new head. He's your new representative. Regardless of how you feel, the reality is that your sins have been forgiven. You've been cleansed. You've been made new. You stand in the righteousness of Jesus and his accomplishments, and so you you stand in that. That's relationship. And so we want to explore the benefits of being in Christ because this, this this, this goes from relationship, understanding, okay, I've been united, but then it goes even deeper, I believe, to identity, knowing who you are. 
You got to know who you are. I'm talking about the far-reaching, extensive benefits of being in Christ Jesus. This is about identity. Now, I know it's an older movie for those of you who are young, but the Bourne trilogy, all right, Jason Bourne, I love that, I love that series. Uh, he's trying to find out who he is and how he became who he is. That's his journey. That's the whole movie. He's got these crazy fighting moves, a bunch of passports. He can drive a car really good. <laughs> I wish I had those moves. Um, I, I think this can describe us on any given day. We can look around and try to figure out who we are and how we became who we are. But, but I, I, I want us to have an answer for that. I want us to have an answer for who we are and how we became who we are. We've got to have an answer. Who are we? Who are we? We're children of God. If you've by faith looked to Jesus for salvation, if you by faith have, have put your rest and your hope, you've surrendered your life to him, you've repented, you've owned up to the fact that you are a sinner and you've looked to Christ, Adam is no longer your representative. Adam is no longer your head. Jesus is. So you've been reconciled to the living God and brought into this living, breathing union, this relationship with God through Christ. And now, what are the benefits that come from that? You know, I, I believe that nothing is more important. Nothing is more important for a new follower of Jesus to know who they are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I want us to learn from this. I, I don't know if I've ever actually said that to us all together on a Sunday. I believe that. And here's why. You see it in the New Testament. You see in these letters written to... You, these are young Christians, young churches. Paul's writing to the Colossians or to the Ephesians or to the Thessalonians. He's always starting with who they are in Christ Jesus. He's always starting with gospel. What's been accomplished? And then, then he gives a list of then, well, what does this mean for your life? What grows out of a proper understanding of the relationship that's happened, the identity that's formed because of what Christ accomplished, the rescue that's taken place? What grows out of that is a life that that honors the Lord, that submits to his rule. I was meeting with someone going through the gospel of Mark in, in eight stories, eight stories in Mark. I, I do this a lot. I, I can share the PDF with you if you want it. Keep it on your phone, and then you too can bring others through the gospel of Mark. We were in our third meeting, and this friend of mine said, why haven't you talked to me about my lifestyle? I, I knew how he was living. I said, man, that doesn't matter to me right now. What matters to me is that you know who Jesus is that you encounter Jesus and you bow your life to him as king. When you do that, then you have to look at your life. Look at your life. How are you living? Because Jesus then begins to influence uh, your money, your time, your body, everything. How you, how you live. Nothing's more important for a new follower of Jesus than to know who they are in Christ Jesus. And it, think about this. The doubts, the condemnation that can come to a new follower, what are they going to fall on? What are we going to fall on? Who, is, who are we in Christ Jesus? There's a huge difference between an identity based on God's grace and then an identity based on performance. For a new follower, they might think, okay, uh, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, and then I'll be accepted. Hold, time out. And you actually might... Be in Christ for years and still be tempted to perform 
and hope that the good outweighs the bad and hope that, oh, somehow God will accept me in the end or somehow I can now pray because he'll, I've, 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 I've not done whatever. You fill in the blank for, for three months. Time out. Our identity is rooted in God's love and grace in Christ Jesus, not in our performance. It's got to be our priority to bring people to this. New followers, those who become Christians, it's got to be our priority to bring people to this, to see who they are in Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Colossians. My prayer, church, is that you are given passages of scripture that you can form well-worn paths to that will help you in the face of discouragement, depression, and anxiety, fear, whatever. When when you feel like you've got nothing to give, you don't know where to go, that you would have well-worn paths to these passages of scripture, and there are others, but find passages that will put it right in front of you again of who you are in Christ Jesus and the benefits that come from it. We've got to do that. So in Colossians chapter three, this is a great passage to do that with. Listen, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, what's he talking about? You're so united with Christ. You've been raised. Look at this language. You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. Really? I feel my heart beating. I've died. You're so united with Christ. This is, this is profound. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm talking about the benefits that come from being in Christ Jesus. So united. We're talking about a living, breathing relationship. A union with Christ. So listen, all that belongs to Jesus becomes yours through faith. His perfect obedience, yours. His sacrificial death, yours. Your old life, once dominated by sin, Satan, and self, is dead. There's no longer any penalty held against you. There's no judgment that remains for you. It's been spent on Jesus. His resurrection and his victory is yours. His acceptance before God the Father is yours. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we're so united with Christ that we will appear with him in glory. Verse 4. It's so extensive that Paul puts it this way. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. So for Christ to be my life, it, it doesn't mean that I lose my personality or become a puppet of some kind. This isn't uh, some pantheistic concept that we become one in essence or substance with the universe. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't become gods. It means Jesus influences everything about me because Jesus is my center. This is a Christ-centered life. Christ is our life. I'm so united with him. This relationship is so real. The benefits are hard to grasp. That's okay. When you start thinking that this is crazy, too good to be true type thinking, you're just starting to 
encounter grace for what it really is. When we treat grace lightly, we've not really explored the depths of it. When we think it's scandalous, when we think it's like, no, no way, that's when we're starting to understand grace. For Christ to be our life, it means we're going to live in a way that demonstrates his rule and reign over every area. This is gospel, church. What God has done to reach us. And it's more than a message for unbelievers. The gospel is key to our strength and renewal. I told you there's a place that we can go at any time of the day or night. There's a place that we can go in a moment's notice. The question is, will we go there? Will we run to the gospel? The truth of rescue in Christ Jesus. Will we hold on to the benefits? And you might think, oh, that was for a point in time, but not now. Listen, these benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus, they reach as far back into your past and as far forward into your future that you can imagine. So you need to hold on to them in the face of whatever discouragement, depression, anxiety, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever temptation comes at you and allow these truths of who you are in Christ and what it means for your life here and now and forever, hold on to these truths and hold them up. Let them bring the perspective that you need in that moment. Now, I know that it's hard, and so, again, um, last Saturday, I text a few people that I trust and love and asked for prayer. Uh, I knew they'd, they'd, they'd get it, you know, and they, they, they prayed for me, but it was still hard. I was up and down, up and down. Saturday night, I know I got to preach a sermon, and I'm feeling just a fierce condemnation hit me. I woke Valerie up at 1130 at night, and I said, babe, I need you to pray for me. I need you to bring, I didn't say this, but I thought I need these truths brought front and center. She did it. She did it. And I believed it. And I slept, and then I preached a sermon in the face of condemnation, in the face of discouragement. Not because I'm strong, but because he is. Here's the deal. If we don't look to these things, we're gonna look to something else to ease the pain. I need to change my therapist, you might say. I need to change my prescription, you might say. I need to change my diet. I need a new career. I need a new girlfriend, boyfriend, new relationship. You might need all those things. But what you need more is to see who you are in Christ. I want you to give an, I want, I want, I want an example here. Uh, imagine you've been hurt or wronged by someone. It's, it's happened to us. And so we realize, all right, I've been hurt. What they said was not right. And you know it wasn't right. But it doesn't give you the right to hold on to to, uh, you know, this kind of this bitterness or this resentment. It doesn't give you the right. So what do you do with that? What, what do you do with the fact that you've been forgiven your sin and you've been reconciled to a holy God who's not holding your sin against you? You, you carry a message of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so to be at odds with another brother or sister in Christ or even someone outside of the church, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. You're carrying this message, this gospel of reconciliation and forgiveness, and yet to think, I've got every right to hold this against them. But then when you preach gospel to yourself, when you remind yourself of what's taken place in Christ, here's what can happen. Oh, 
I can entrust this to the Lord. He's the judge who judges justly. I don't need to hold on to this. It's not my right. In fact, I can forgive, and I don't have to, in my forgiveness, uh, I'm not saying that what they did was right, but I'm saying it's, I'm not holding on to this anymore. I, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm going to express love. Church, if we're called to love our enemy, what then are we supposed to do with brothers and sisters that we're at odds with? This is not easy. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the strength of the gospel. There's no room for bitterness, no room for unforgiveness or resentment. Okay, back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one. This is one long sentence in the Greek. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, we read it at the start. And it's as if Paul is caught up in the wonder and joy of the benefits that come to those who by faith trust in Jesus. He writes and he doesn't take a breath. And here's what he's, here's what he's getting at. These are just some of the benefits that he mentions. In verse 4, we have believed in Christ. We've been chosen. Verse 4, verse 5, we've been predestined. We've been adopted. Verse 7, we've been redeemed. Verse 10, we've been reconciled. Reconciled. Verse 13, we've been included. Verse 13, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of what's to come. These benefits are yours the moment you belong to Christ by faith. If you belong to Christ Jesus, all of this is true of you all the time. What is true of you all the time? That you've been chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, reconciled, included, and sealed. I could go on. All of this is true of you all the time. And so we need well-worn paths to these truths to put them front and center again. Take one of these, for instance. Take one of these benefits that are ours in Christ, adopted. Just take one. What does it mean to be adopted? It means you're part of the family. Listen, when my sons come to me, they have my attention. I'll never turn them away. They don't go to bed at night wondering if this is their last night in the home. They don't go to bed at night wondering if I'm going to provide food for them. I'm their father. There's a rest. There's a security. There's things they don't even worry about because they trust their father. You have been adopted. You're in the family of God. A son, a daughter, where you can cry out with intimate terms, Abba, Father, my Lord. And you have his attention. You are accepted and loved. You're welcomed in. You have full access. Listen, someone needs to hear this. God is not going to turn you away. He's not going to turn you away. You're welcomed in. It's because of what Christ has accomplished. This is the place of strength. This is the place of renewal and assurance and hope. And we can go there every day, any time of the day, in a moment's notice. It's a place that we were meant to go frequently for renewal. The enemy would love for us to forget these truths. The enemy would love for us to ignore them or, or to walk away from them. When I look at my life on any given day, I, I might see failure in sin, I might feel shame and disgrace, but that's not the whole story. In the face of condemnation, 
I'm united with Christ. I have value and worth, and with it, a new confidence to bring my sin and failures to a loving God who forgives and empowers. When I struggle to grasp how a holy God could accept me and use me for his purposes or truly love me, in the face of discouragement, I have been united with Christ. When I try to find my identity, my value in things or people, in the face of temptation, I have been united with Christ. When I feel myself spiraling into darkness and places of depression or drifting into a place of numbness to grace, in the face of depression and anxiety, I have been united with Christ. I can come to you, Lord. You won't reject me. I I can bring you my brokenness. I can confess my fear. I can bring you my anxiety. I can share my sadness, my frustration, and it's there. It's there in the face of discouragement that I will find the strength to love and the power to fight and the grace to hold on. So go back to the start, church. Take hold of what it means to be in Christ and let it take hold of you. It's a place we were meant to go frequently for renewal. The question is, will we go there? In the face of discouragement and depression, in the face of anxiety, will we run to this place for renewal and strength? If, if you don't see me running there, but you know I need to run there, will you help me get there, please? If I don't see you running there, but I know you need to run there, I'll do the same for you. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Let's go back to the start. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for bringing us back to the start and remembering, helping us to remember what's taken place, this great rescue operation and what it means for us, this relationship, this union in Christ Jesus and what it means This is good news, and it's good news in the face of discouragement, depression, and anxiety. Even if those things don't lift immediately, it's still good news. Lord, would you just teach us to have these well-worn paths to areas within your word that will put these truths front and center. Teach us to hold on to these things in the face of discouragement, to preach these things, to celebrate these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.